0: Hey guys, it's Tony Robbins. You're listening to Habits and Hustle. Crush it. Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Keith Campbell. Dr. Campbell is a social psychologist and a professor in the behavioral and brain sciences. He is best known for his research and writing on narcissism. Dr. Campbell is also the author of several books, including The Handbook of Narcissism, The Narcissism Epidemic, and also his newest book, The New Science of Narcissism. Understanding one of the greatest psychological challenges of our time and what you can do about it. We had a really fascinating conversation on the topic. People um, use the word narcissism or he's narcissistic or she's narcissistic really kind of loosely these days. And we talked all about the differences between having a narcissistic personality disorder and just having traits of narcissism. Uh, narcissism. Uh, Really fascinating conversation. I really think that you're going to enjoy this podcast. And uh, like I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed having him on the podcast and talking to him. So let me know, please leave a, a comment, a review. Let me know your thoughts. Your feedback is always so important to making this podcast better as we go. So please participate in letting me know. Bye all right guys today this is a this is going to be a good episode i hope so keith, it will be you got bad. a lot of pressure on a you. a lot now. of pressure it's gonna be great <laughs> we have uh dr keith campbell dr keith campbell is the leading world-renowned uh specialist in narcissism how do you like that i'll take it right why not you might as well he has book yeah. he, he has um his first book was a uh A national bestseller called the narcissism not sorry, the narcissism epidemic. His newest book is called The New Science of Narcissism Understanding One of the Greatest Psychological Challenges of Our Time and What You Can Do About It. This is a topic, I mean, people love talking about narcissism.
1: They do. Yeah, and 10 years ago, they didn't even know how to pronounce it. Isn't and they still crazy? don't. I yeah, know. but it just, it exploded. It's it, wild.
0: It, why do you think that is? Is it because of the fact that people are becoming more and more narcissistic, <laughs> that they want to talk about, hear about themselves? I, I mean,
1: I think there, is a, there was a generational Change in narcissism, but a lot of that in young people has started to turn around. We're seeing a lot more depression, unfortunately. Right. You know, so after the great financial crisis, a lot of it has been social media and that everybody has to be kind of their own producer, their own celebrity. So you got, you know, 15 year olds out there selling them, you know, selling their image, selling their brand. So there's a lot of pressure that way. And then we live in this sort of celebrity culture. So there's that part of it. So I think there's a lot more interest in narcissism. Um, another piece is individualism and social isolation. You know, as we're kind of isolated and individualized as a society, narcissism becomes more important. We're not talking about our families and our groups and the bowling right. league. You know, we're talking more about ourselves.
0: So basically because there's a less lesser focus on like community and yes. much more on individualism.
1: Yep. And individualism can go bad in a lot of ways and narcissism is
0: one. Absolutely. Because now everybody is a personal brand, like everybody depends, not only if you're a company or a product, but a person. And like you said, we have to, we are all addicted to social media. So it's just, it's like rampant now.
1: Right. Because you're out there doing it and you go, I have to do this for work. Because if I'm not out there doing my my yep. social media work, my branding, everyone's going to forget about me. And then what am I going to do? I'm not going to have a job. I can't do anything. So I've got to work on it while well, everyone else is doing the same. So it becomes competitive branding right, exactly. for individuals. And a lot of us don't have that much to
0: say. <laughs> you know? Well, that's the problem, right? <laughs> and you're also looking at yourself 24 hours a day. And you know, also with these filters and not. So when you are not on a filter, you see yourself and you become so upset and and depressed.
1: That is what we're seeing at the cultural level. When you make a social media world, people who are narcissistic, who are self focused, they're like, "Hey, this is my dream. Yes. I can have shallow. Pe- I can be shallow and have people pay attention to me and like me, and I don't have to reveal too much about my inner messiness." Right, right. And they're like home run. So they're out there winning. Right. And then everyone else is like, "I got to play the same game." but I don't like looking at myself that much. And well, maybe I can make an image I like, and I spend all my time making the image of Keith online. And then I go home, like you're saying, and look in the mirror in the morning, and go, who is this old dude looking back at me? This is the most depressing thing I've ever seen. And then you you get depressed. And so there's a real emptiness. A lot of times people talk about narcissism and and emptiness. And I think that's part of it, is you just focused on an image and you're trying to impress people you don't care about, really just trying to get likes or whatever. Isn't that
0: crazy? <laughs> it's dark. I mean, this is crazy where our world now has become like how many likes or how many follows you have because other people are um I guess what is it? They're um they're judging you based on your worth on that stuff, especially if, <laughs> okay. you're, if your work is involved with that, right? Like you're not worth worthy if you don't have a million followers or Five hundred likes. They or will it is. they
1: will judge you based on your follower count. Yeah, and I will be judged poorly. I would like to say, but that's what I mean. <laughs> don't even what, have I don't even have Instagram. Yes. I should. I have a fake account. I, I look at fishing stuff and occasionally oh, only fishing. Yeah, stuff. Okay, so fishing and,
0: and uh, So you're not a narcissist then.
1: I, I'm really not that narcissistic. I mean, there's that old saying, you know, research is me search. Right. And um, <laughs> I like so that. yeah, and and like I got yeah. issues. Believe me, but I I I, I could be I'm. My self talk is a little more negative. From really? you know, so, I, I tend to struggle more with depression a little bit. Yeah,
0: but doesn't aren't there correlations? So let's start from the beginning yeah, yeah, yeah. because yeah. I think it's what I find fascinating about your books and about the research I've done. There is correlations between narcissism and depression, narcissism and like all this emptiness and, and just yeah. because you're entitled or because wh- let's first discuss what is narcissism at its yeah. core. Yeah. And then let's discuss, is that the same as having the narcissistic disorder? Yeah, go
1: on. So yeah, yeah here's the problem with narcissism is first, uh, you know, years ago, no one could really say the word because it's a hard word. It's got right. an extra S and it should be like, and it really <laughs> used to be narcissism. And then they changed it, you know, in the old text there's narcissism. And then it becomes narcissism because it's based on the Greek myth of Narcissus, mm. And Narcissus was this, you know, a beautiful dude and he was looking for the love of his life. Um, the one person he fell in love with was Echo, the nymph mm-hmm. who repeated everything he said and she faded away. And then he, he ended up falling in love with his own reflection water and dying and turned in, there's different versions of this, but he turns into a flower, which we call the Narcissus or the Daylily. Mm, okay. And so, and there's Salvador Dali has a great painting of this. So this image has been around in art a lot. It's a hard word to say, no one could say it. And now everyone talks about it, but they don't know what it means. So right. they're like, yeah, my ex-boyfriend was such a narcissist, why? Well, he's kind of a jerk. Well, narcissist is a little different than just being a jerk. A lot of jerks out there, you know, right. some are narcissistic, some aren't. So, people are using it uh, incorrectly. Part of the problem is there's really three ways we use the term in psychology and the research. The first is there's a personality trait, and the idea of a trait means we, we all differ on these traits. We all have some level of narcissism, some are higher, some are lower, and there's costs and, and, cost and uh, benefits to both high and low narcissism. Within the trait of narcissism, there's two faces or two kinds. So there's grandiose narcissism, And this is the kind we, you know, being up in L.A. here, you kind of think of the, you know, celebrities and the politicians. And it's the it's that extroversion and confidence and sometimes drive and ambition, fame seeking, attention seeking behavior. But that's married with a sense of entitlement, a sense of being superior to other people, a sense of maybe feeling you're just kind of fundamentally better than other people, uh, antagonism and some anger. So those two things together, you know, that grandiose narcissism is almost like uh, it's kind of like uh, antagonism with a really pretty face on it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you find people who are really just extroverted and attention seeking, but they're nice people. So they can be narcissistic, but they're kind of oblivious. And you talk to them like, and they're like, "I'm sorry, I just wouldn't think." You know, they're not yeah. bad; they're just self centered. Right. And, that's and there, a, is a,
0: there is a difference.
1: Yes. Yeah, and that's this more grandiose side. And then the more vulnerable side is you have that sense of entitlement and sense of importance i'm an important person i deserve special treatment but you're a little insecure you have low self-esteem you're a little introverted you're a little fearful so what do you do you can't go out in the world and be successful because you're kind of scared right you can't go out there and be a celebrity because you don't feel good in front of the camera you're like but in your mind you do so you end up with a fantasy world where you're kind of uh, telling stories about how great you are. In the book, I talk about you know serial killers, or, or I mean, spree killers, actually, these mass shooters who write um, manifestos right. before shooting. And a lot of those manifestos is like, the world is unfair because I don't get the what I deserve. I'm going to show you who the real alpha male is. So sometimes with this more vulnerable narcissism, you see people that seem really insecure and shy, but occasionally with the criminality they'll act out to sort of show
0: dominance. So is that one is is there is the vulnerable one more is it is it worse than the
1: first one than the grandiose it, one yeah so the grandiose is narcissism is 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 really pretty effective in a lot of ways so if you're in a leadership position if you're young if you're in LA you know being a little bit grandiose works it's going to make you work pretty well right it's probably going to have a negative consequence on your close relationships over time because you're going to you're going to value maybe new relationships or celebrity over maintaining closeness and that might have a cost but it's a bearable cost. And the people that are probably gonna suffer from grandiose narcissism or grandiose narcissists are people who love them and wanna be with them that aren't getting what they need. Right. Because they're they're, they're kind of signed up for different relationships. The narcissist is like, this is great, but I also want this and this and this. And the person who's more love focused, like I just really want the relationship. Right. So that's gonna be conflict. And then the other thing those grandiose people do is they get into a lot of power and then they can do damage and power. So they might go into political office or celebrity office. So that's that's where grandiosity can get in trouble.
0: So wait, hold on. I want to ask you something. Yeah, yeah. So the between the so like a, you see like Tony Stark would be like a, an example of a grandiose, very, right? Because yes. people who are also super likable, right? Like yes, they have very, like a likable quality. Absolutely.
1: In research with narcissism, people are grandiose. If you meet them initially, you like them. Right. I mean, on average, they're just likable people because they're extroverted, right? Confident people
0: you like. But then does it change over time? Because um, I like Tony Stark from Iron Man 1 all the way through, yeah. you know?
1: So imagine you're married to Tony Stark. Right. And Tony Stark's like, hey, Tony, I want to take the kids out. And Tony's like, well, I've got my genius plan. Well, what is it, Tony? I'm not sharing you with my genius plan because I'm the genius. Right. I'm going to leave for three months and work on this. You're like, well, what about our marriage, Tony? What's right. about me right
0: now? So on the surface, they're all fun and happy and you they're very likable. But in a deeper way it's, where- it, Yes. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Tell me.
1: Deep committed trust relationships are what fall apart. Right. So, if you want a deep committed trusting relationship with somebody who's sort of shallow and self absorbed, it's going to be a problem. Even though you go, God, that person's so likable. Look how extro- extroverted they are and how charming and charismatic. I really like that Tony Stark. I'd love to be his bro, you know? Right, right. But you might not get that from him.
0: Is there ever like, um, Like you could have some of it, but not all of it. Like you could be a deep thinker, but also be a grandiose.
1: Oh, absolutely. So these things, I mean, The way person, I hate to say it, but the way personality is really complicated and you find people who are grandiose and kind of vulnerable, Mm -hmm. and those people can be really a problem. Because there's that
0: combination. Yeah, that
1: combination can be really dangerous because they're really insecure. So people like Tony Stark, you're like, Tony, you're an idiot. He goes like, no, I'm not. Right. He doesn't care. He doesn't care because he knows he's smart. But if he was insecure, he'd be like, I'm not an idiot. I'm going to prove it to you by killing you with a... Right, you know, laser weapon.
0: Wait, so there's three kinds. A grandiose is like a Tony. Uh, the vulnerable used to like like a George right? Yeah, that's right? the
1: kind of the, the kind of the more um, yeah, inter- like self-deprecating, self-deprecating, a little depressive. Yeah,
0: and so he's not dangerous per se.
1: Those they can be, but usually they're not doing enough to be dangerous. Usually they're dangerous to themselves. So right. people who are vulnerably narcissistic or depressed, they're anxious. They don't feel they're getting a fair shake. They go to therapy for depression, and this is why they used to call it covert narcissism because they go into therapy and they're like talking about their depression, and the therapist in there after three sessions goes, "Wait a second, you really you kind of think you're a big deal. You're kind of a narcissist, right? But I didn't know it because
0: you, it's it, it's kind of it's kind of yeah. like." Um, a, like a hidden exactly. narcissism, You wouldn't expect it. And then it comes at you. Right. like, Oh, wow. I didn't this know this. This person
1: seems shy and kind of introverted and nervous. And I talked to him a few times and turns out they feel like everyone should be paying attention to him. And that's why they're not happy. So
0: then who would be a combo?
1: So what you find, um, well, somebody like Donald Trump is an interesting kind of a combo character. Or isn't he you,
0: the one that, wouldn't he, be, wouldn't he have a narcissistic personality? So or, that's what ordered. I was going to
1: say. I, well, that's a. It's a longer discussion that maybe- We got time. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens is with the disorder, which is a third type of narcissism, when your, your narcissism is, and your personality becomes extreme and inflexible, so you're very narcissistic and you can't turn it on and off. So when your kids come home, it's the birthday party, it's about you. You know when is that the,
0: is that, that's is when that, it
1: becomes a disorder.
0: So that's that's narcissistic personality disorder. Yes.
1: Yeah. So when it becomes extreme and inflexible, and then to be a disorder, it has to lead to clinically significant impairment. Meaning a psychiatrist or other, you know, clinician has to say, yeah, Keith, you know, your narcissism is significantly damaging your life in a couple of areas. It might be your relationships. It might be your decision making at work. Your ego is too big. You're not taking feedback. So you're not growing enough. Um, it might be your uh, cognitive distortions. your kind of risk taking. It could be different things like that. So they come up with a couple of things. Often it's interpersonal. Your marriage is falling apart. You're Family's mm-hmm. falling apart. Your work, you know, get fired at work. If it's impairing in a significant way, it's inflexible. You've been like that since you're a kid. You're not just you know hopped up on cocaine or something. Um, <laughs> they would say, yeah, that's a disorder. It, it the way narcissistic personality disorder is described is it's primarily grandiose, but there's also some vulnerability in it. It's a bit of a mess, and it, and that can be a, again, it can be diagnosed as a disorder and treated that way. And an NPD or narcissistic personality disorder is like one to two percent of the population. Really? So this is supposed. They all
0: live in L.A. Well, that's the joke, right? And they
1: all live in New York and L.A. Well, yeah. you imagine though? You're like, well, I'm somebody who really I think I'm a really special person. I think the world should know. Well, where are you going to go?
0: Yeah, you're going to go straight to Hollywood. Well, you know, there's a, a friend of mine once said to me, and it's I think it's so true. It's like in order to have to to be super successful and really go after it you have to have a a bit of you have to have a level of entitlement to even think like well why not me yeah why not me like and the truth of the matter is like i i think that i have that in me right because that's i think it's like well if it's going to happen to someone why couldn't this x whatever it is happen to me or you know why not like and having that kind of like naivety is it kind of is that like? Is there like a difference, or do you need to have? that I think entitlement. I, na- I call it naivety. Yeah, or, I mean more than narcissism. Myself. No, like,
1: I, I when I look at it, my sense it's like I say, like I'm willing to do anything. I don't know if I'll pull it off, but I'll give it a shot. Right. And I'm I'm happy to try. Right. And so yeah, that's that. That's risk taking. That's extroversion, and that's like an ingredient of narcissism too. Right but it's ingredient of a lot of things. So that's an ingredient of boldness. It's an ingredient of, you know, uh, fearless dominance. That's another trait we talk about. Um, Fearless fearless dominance. So that's that's a, a trait they describe psychopathy with, or it's an aspect of psychopathy, fearless dominance. In the military work, they talk about Audie Murphy, who is this great, he was the most decorated soldier in World War II. He became a Hollywood star. Oh, wow. And he was, you know, kind of the example of fearless dominance. Just a bull, Chuck Yeager, the the test pilot. Oh, okay. So fearless dominance is somebody who's got, it's the the guts of narcissism, but not necessarily the ego piece. So Chuck Yeager's like, yeah, I'll go. kick ass yeah. and fly this feat of sound. And, you know, I feel good about it. But he's not walking around afterwards signing autographs going, hey, get in front of the camera and let's talk about Chuck Yeager. Right,
0: right, Because he right. just
1: wants to go fly the plane.
0: Right. Because he's, oh, he's bold,
1: but he doesn't need he doesn't need the fans following him
0: around. Absolutely. I love the way you say bold because, you know, you're obviously, uh, you know what I'm doing with my life with this boldness. Yeah. And my book that's coming out, like, not for a long time. And I used you as uh, – Obviously, as an expert to help me with it. So, where is is where is the boldness and narcissism?
1: So, boldness, do my hands. So yeah. Boldness and extroversion and drive and ambition are kind of these. You know, I, we think it vertical. Is that what you, sorry? Trying to circumplex. Yeah. The circum. <laughs> imagine the circle. It's like yin and yang. Yeah. So, so boldness is that extroversion, drive, yang um, energy piece, and that's really useful for success, it's important for leadership, it's important for getting anything done. If you have boldness and you're a nice, loving person, you're not a narcissist, you're a bold, loving person. If you have the boldness and you're kind of an entitled dick, a little bit narcissistic. Right. Boldness itself isn't the problem. It's when you, the, Combined the, the, you combine it with antagonism. So narcissist, the thing Wait, what that do you, make, what,
0: what do you mean? You keep on saying antagonism. I know, antagonism
1: is a hard word. And you say it in the book a lot. I know, it's so technical. So. If you take all of personality uh-huh. and you kind of put it into the you know, big buckets, if we take all these personality traits, there's thousands of traits, there's boldness and confidence and cleverness and kindness and all these different things. If you put them all in boxes and say, how many traits are there really? There are about five. It might be six, it might be four, but really we come up with, and we call these the big five traits and they spell ocean or canoe to make it easy.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah.
1: So the, the big five traits are, i just do this openness to experience, uh, which is really about creativity and aesthetics and philosophy and ideas. And the C is conscientiousness, which we were talking about earlier, which has to do with discipline and being organized and responsible and taking care of yourself. And that's a really important trait for health and a really important trait for wealth. Um, And then you have extroversion, which most of us think about as sociability, like I'm a social person, but extroversion and personality also means drive or ambition or energy. Mm -hmm. So there's that extroversion piece, agreeableness, which is about being kind, polite and rule following. The flip side of agreeableness is antagonism, which is about being a little bit entitled and looking out for number one versus the group. So when I say, when I'm talking about antagonism, I'm talking about sort of the opposite of agreeableness. Got
0: it, okay, It's yes. sort of,
1: it's meanness, but it's like being mean and self-centered. But difficult. Difficult is a good way to right. put it, yeah. Okay, difficult. And then the final trait with the ocean model is neuroticism. And neuroticism is the old fashioned word we use for things like anxiety, depression, and kind of hostility, like hostile aggression. Mm-hmm. And so what you see with narcissism is if you take that drive, that extroversion piece, and you mix it with low or low agreeableness, so somebody who's not that agreeable, not that nice, not that cooperative, but really driven, that's more grandiose narcissism. And people like that are pretty likable people, as long as they're on your side. And then if you take that, uh, that meanness or that antagonism and you mix it with neuroticism, with anxiety and depression, you end up with vulnerable narcissism. So those folks don't do as well because they don't have the drive. Got it. But they feel really bad because of the neuroticism.
0: That's interesting. That's actually now I, I understand that.
1: Does that make sense? It does so make sense. I think about these things as the Big Five is kind of the ingredients, the basic personality ingredients, and then you mix those together to get different traits.
0: I know? like that. No, that makes that makes sense to me. So then, um, what I'm curious about then, before we move on to the next thing, I want to really talk about is. Um, you were saying something about relationships, like how people have relationships with people like that. And you talked about something in the book about uh, like the chocolate cake Mm -hmm. model or something. Can you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah,
1: I I come up with my scientific models (laughs) and I I give them these silly names because a lot of science people give these names like, dude, they're just models. These aren't mathematically specified (laughs) models. We're just trying to figure out how the world works. Come on. So here's the idea with the chocolate cake the chocolate cake model. What we were talking about earlier is if I meet somebody, if I'm driving around LA and mm-hmm. I met a celebrity right now, the person would probably be confident and extroverted and I'd be like, "What a nice guy. I can't believe we got to meet." Like I was in I was in Malibu Colony once and I met the guy from Police Academy, the star. Which I remember, one? Oh,
0: Stephen Gutton?
1: Yes. Was, oh, my God. I remember it. was so long. I, I loved never, that movie. I, I loved I, him. I, I cracked up so much in this guy's driving with this yeah. surf bar. I'm out body surfing with these like weird. It's just a weird. I love LA. It's so weird. I, I don't even know.
0: It's true, right?
1: Um, but you go, what a nice guy. It's like guy.
0: reality. Right.
1: So this guy could be a total psychopath. I don't know. But he seemed confident, and <laughs> an extroverted, attractive guy. I'm like, what a likable guy, right? So. So here's what happens when you're dating. You go out to the, you go out and meet people and you meet people who are grandiose narcissists and you go, God, I really like this person. They're confident. They're engaging. They seem really successful. And I really feel excited dating them. This is really exciting. And you start dating and it's great for a while. And then what happens in relationships, and this is cultural, but ideally, I mean, we tend to start with excitement. It's more sexual. It's more passion. It's more fun, hot. And then it becomes like, hey, let's get some commitment. Let's get to know each other. Let's look in a little bit. Let's think about our future. There's a transition. With grandiose narcissism, there's no transition. So you start dating, I'm starting dating Steve Gutenberg. I don't know why I'm dating Steve Gutenberg In this example, I didn't remember his name. So I'm dating this guy and it's like, I, it's great, so much fun. We went to the opening of Police Academy 6. I got to meet, you know, the guy that does the funny voices. It was, this is the greatest relationship ever. And I'm like, Steve, let's talk about marriage. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm a freaking star. I'm doing Police Academy 16. They're gonna, <laughs> they're gonna premiere it in Beijing, man. I don't need this. And you go, what happened? What, I, I, I'm so stupid. I thought I was in a normal relationship. So the idea of the chocolate cake model is when you give people a choice between eating a piece of chocolate cake and eating a nice salad or some broccoli or something, people go, I want the chocolate cake. They eat the chocolate cake. They feel really good. A great chocolate cake class. And I felt great. I was all fired up. Like, woo! 20 minutes later, I'm like, my, I get depressed, my the sugar high crashes. I'm like, why did I eat that chocolate You're cake? You're bloated, you You're feel blo- guilty. Yeah. I'm like, I'm such an idiot. Why did I do that? Why was I so stupid to eat the chocolate cake again? And I'm like, dude, this chocolate cake. Like nobody's salad sucks. You don't want a salad, but if you ate the salad in 20 minutes, you'd be like, I'm a healthy person. I eat salad, I'm a good person. So that's what happens in in these relationships where you date these more grandiose narcissists, you get this big spike of satisfaction, and then they kind of crash right. And then it even crashes worse because you're like, "What an idiot am I. Why was I so stupid to date that person? I'm like Guy's a narcissist. Of course, he's attractive. This is what he does. Of course, I mean, he's an attractive guy. That's why you dated him.
0: Right, right, right. So you get like you get like kind of uh, pulled in, but then it never really ends well, or right. does it doesn't really. It's, there's never ever any meat on the bone.
1: It, exactly. I, I used to call it the sizzle steak problem, but no one eats meat anymore. But it's the idea that it's like there's the sizzle in the relationship yeah. and the steak, and you get all the sizzle, but there's no steak. And that's what happens. So, so, what
0: happens in the vulnerable one? In the vulnerable narcissist?
1: Vulnerable one? narcissists aren't that attractive. You're not really attracted to them, and so they don't do as much interpersonal damage as um, the other. And as, as the, the other, other ones, time, because yeah. they're not, they're just not that attractive.
0: So, okay, because a big topic is always is gaslighting. People are always yes. talking about yeah. gaslighting.
1: So, gaslighting um, is a term from an old movie where you know it was a. a husband, I think, making his his wife crazy by and he'd do different things. Like he'd change right. the lights and he'd be like, I didn't change the lights. Are you going crazy? The lights are the same. Right, right. You know, right. and so that's the idea of gas. Keeping scream with your head. Yeah, it's it's a it's a yeah. It's mindfuck. They yeah. basically say, you know, reality's he, the person is changing reality. And when you say reality is changing, they say, no, it's not. You're changing. You're crazy. So, so you, what's
0: what, who does that? And Narcissists what? do. No, I know they do that. <laughs> but is that the grandiose not, or yeah, is that more
1: of a the disorder? It would be more grandiose and it could be the disorder as well. And- Is it common? It's, well, I'll tell you, there's no research on it because- Oh, it's, there's not? No, because I had a student who did all the groundwork for it and it's just- this just hadn't been done. I mean, there's no really good measures of this. Um, so it's a way people talk about it. In the research, we've looked at game playing, which is similar idea, which is like in relationships saying like, I'm really attracted to you and committed. Oh, you are? No, I'm not. Why did I say that? I was drunk. I'm sorry. Oh, I, I said I didn't love you. I love you. That kind of, you Back know,
0: of. Yeah, that game playing. is that. So it's not really a narcissistic thing.
1: Narcissists do the game playing because it's a way of keeping power and control in the relationship. Because if I'm in a relationship and I'm the one setting the rules, changing the dynamics, I have all the power.
0: Right. So are they doing it intentionally? Yes. They are. Okay. So that's yeah. like, so that's an element of how, because I was watching something. I don't know. It was, I think it was your TED talk. I don't know. I was watching, And I read all the comments and there were people who were like severely upset. Oh. Some of them because they are in these like really hard relationships. And, you know, we're talking about it now, like more on a, you know, frivolous level, but then there's also these deeper rooted issues when it comes to relationships so, and these people. There's a couple
1: issues. When I talk about, when I talk about everything, I tend to be pretty lighthearted about it. Right, Because right. the world is so dark and horrible that I don't really see my choice.
0: Right, and also it's not always, that's not the, probably the, the, the norm.
1: Right. And with narcissism relationships, most of it is kind of small because most of us aren't with these psychopathic relationships. Right. But when you talk to people, and I've talked to a lot who have been in these relationships, they are horrifying and horrible and controlling. And people will do stuff like the stories. I mean, the worst stories I've heard husbands do is they will, you know, they'll be married. Narcissistic husband goes, I want a divorce. I don't want to pay for it. So, what I do is get my wife so pissed off, she's going to hit me. So, I just go there until she throws something at me. And then I call the cops. Cops show up and they have to arrest somebody for, for domestic abuse. Oh, well, your wife just hit you.
0: Right. Oh, wow. Then you go to
1: court, say, Well, my wife's abusive. She attacked me. You mean you were a dick to her and she smacked you? Like,
0: so that's kind of manipulative. Kind and, of,
1: yeah. Like, like it's horrib- horribly psychopathic and manipulative. And this stuff happens all the time. But I've heard this story many times.
0: So is that a psychopath or is it that narcissism
1: and, that- and psychopathy are kind of like cousins? And when it gets extreme, you know, the difference is, you know, psychopaths we usually think are like less focused on attention and have a little less or a little more impulsive, but they're very similar disorders. Sort of like. A lot of psychopathy looks like narcissism and vice versa.
0: I like Machiavellian and all this.
1: <laughs> yeah. Machiavellianism that is a it's a personality trait that's supposed to describe really sophisticated manipulativeness. Mm. Like like in Game of Thrones, like the some of the characters, like the like Littlefinger, there's some of the advisors, they're real sneaky and manipulative. Right. That's what Machiavellianism is supposed to capture. That's sort of just the manipulative part, but not so much the self-centeredness. Because it's not, I don't necessarily need to be famous. I just want to have control and manipulation.
0: Right, and is that common in the grandiose? Yes, or? they
1: they related. So sometimes you'll hear people talk about the dark triad. I don't know if you've heard that. Ask, yeah,
0: down my my list here. You talk about well, uh, the the dark triad and the light triad, right?
1: So yeah. So what happened was people started noticing, like, hey, we're doing research on psychopathy, and I'm this guy's doing research on Machiavellianism, and these guys are doing research on narcissism. Well, they're all very similar. Well, what they share is they share that trait of antagonism or low agreeableness. So you take all of these sort of traits that have to do with being a little bit mean and self-centered and selfish. And then there's different faces of those. So if you're just more manipulative, it's Machiavellian. Right. If you're more attention seeking, it's more narcissistic. If you're more, you know, sort of just looking out for number one and maybe more impulsive, it's more psychopathic. But it's the same. It's just flavoring that, like, yeah. here are all the mean people, yeah. the mean selfish people. And then you're labeling them. And they, then let's just try to.
0: So what's what's who cares? So, so all this is done just to have a label. Like, what's the difference?
1: Well, I mean, the the it's these labels have historic meaning to them. So kay. they kind of came up in different ways. So the people studying psychopathy, the people studying sociopathy, right. the people studying narcissism, they're people studying antisocial personality disorder. And so people are doing these different things. They're all kind of the same. So we think of them as just cousin traits. They're not just little differences. I don't right. I don't make a big difference over labels. Because right. these things are all on a continuum. Right. Um, so people are studying those things. And then what happened is you got in the clinical world, the world of psychiatry, and they said, Well, we we can't have all this. There's too much. So they had these political fights. And so there's no psychopathy. If you go to the DSM, mm-hmm. like DSM-5, the DSM five, then you know, the, the the psychiatrist handbook, there's right. a, psychopaths aren't in there. Because They're not? They, no. Because they, yeah. have, they have antisocial personality disorder and narcissistic personality disorder. And if you added psychopathy, it would kind of fit right across the two of them. So because of the fights, the oh. antisocial people won the political fight. So they got their construct in the book and the psychopathic people didn't.
0: So then where does this all, that's so crazy. So where does this all, the beha- these mental health behaviors come from? Is it from childhood, from trauma? Because what you were saying earlier, and I wanted to ask you, was about social media, right? Because with social media, even if you weren't so much a narcissist, it makes you more of a narcissist.
1: It pulls for it and reinforces it for sure. Because if you're, if you were narcissistic, imagine you just two random kids in LA and one is like, you know what I really like? I like people who look at me and comment on how hot I am because I'm really hot. Yes. And the other person's like, I'm really insecure. I don't know how to fit in. I don't really like how I look because my face is a little fat. Who's gonna be happier on social media? True.
0: But then what I'm saying is it does it, it, it kind of creates a monster, so to it's speak. It's
1: reinforcing. It's really weird. You but know, the people
0: who are not naturally that way. The people
1: who are narcissistic, it becomes very reinforcing of those traits, right? So but is the, it because
0: had they become narcissistic in the first so, place? Because kids are not normally considered to be narcissists, right? Is no, bad.
1: well, th- so this is the thing with the, with kids. What you see is you know Freud talked about this is this basic narcissism with kids because they you know you right. kids are like they're like I'm the best and look at my art. Right, but and they don't know any different. No, that's how they're supposed right, to be, exactly. right? So the idea was in life you kind of start off sort of narcissistic mm-hmm. and you get older. And you're like well, I can't be the most important because my other brother has to be, and my mom, and my dog, and then in class. And you kind of get smaller as a person, and then you, but you get bigger because you have relationships. So Freud talked about that. Um, when, But when you kind of look at all of it, here's what you see, is that there does seem to be some childhood and parenting and narcissism, but it's not as much as anybody thinks, maybe 10, 20% of it. Mm-hmm. With grandiose narcissism, you see parents that put their kids on a pedestal that were spoiled them a little bit, a little more uh, permissive parenting. With vulnerable narcissism, you see the more classic pathological parenting, the the abusive parenting, the cold parenting, all that kind of stuff, the more trauma. And and that's why I think you get people who are both, is you take somebody with the genetics of somebody who's gonna be grandiose and you traumatize them a little bit. And that's where you get the vulnerability, but that's another. So those seem to be the two pathways, but those aren't a huge part of it. Genetics plays a lot. Genetics plays more than 50% in about all personality, at least 50%.
0: Really? For our kids. Oh, yeah. So like if your parents are narcissistic, the the bigger chance that you're going to become narcissistic? Yes. Yes. Interesting. Yes. So more than
1: 50%? The, I mean, I don't like to say like the chance of narcissism, if your parents are narcissistic, but when they figure out how much of narcissism can be predicted from your parents or from your, your you know, your, yeah. your, your history, um, it's more than 50%. And this is true across personality trait. Most of how we are, we're kind of hardwired. So you have two kids, right? Mm-hmm. They're different kids. Yep. Totally different. Totally. And you never once go, you know, I could change you into you. You just couldn't, right, you don't know, exactly. think that right. Like my daughters are totally different people. Right. And so as a parent, I don't get to pick who my daughters are. I already picked it because I married my wife and we, <laughs> spun the, we spun the wheel and this is who we got. Right. right. So I have no control over who my daughter is as a parent. All I have control is how I'm going to relate to that. Am I right. going to try to meet her on her terms and try to help her evolve and develop in the best way? Or I'm going to say, you know, I don't like the person you came at it. I'd really like you to be more like me. And I'm going to make change you into me,
0: but so if you're narcissistic, though, there's a good chance that one of them, both of them, will have a form of it.
1: They will have, the, they will have sort of the traits that could turn could into narcissism for it. sure. So. And then you go, what happens? Well, what can happen is you have the parent who goes, you know, my narcissism isn't enough, Jennifer, because I'm not as attractive as I wanted I wanted to be when I was 35. <laughs> but my kid is pretty attractive. So I'm going to put all my psychological energy onto my kid's attractiveness and her modeling career. And I'm going to get all my ego needs met for my child's success. So parents will do that.
0: Subconsciously, probably Yeah, too, it's right? not, yeah,
1: they don't. They, right. and, and so what happens, and, and this is, I wish we had more research on this and we just don't because it's so hard to find the data, but you just talk to people and they go, you know, I felt like I had a really strong relationship with my narcissistic parent, mm-hmm. as long as I was making my parent feel good about himself or herself, mm-hmm. you know, either one. Right, right, right. Um. But then when I got older and saw who my parent really was, that they were kind of fake, and I realized my childhood was a bit of a lie. You know, it was a bit of a, you know, I would say it's like a Western set. You know, it's like a Potomacan village or however you say that. It's like it was a fake life. Yeah. Like I thought it was great. I thought it was happy. I thought it was this, but it really wasn't. And I was kind of playing a show. And then there's a lot of struggle that comes with that because you try to question your relationship, right. you question who you are. So, right. I, I mean, I think it can be a, a real challenge, but I don't. You know, and, and the, I just say, going back to the original question, the other piece that we haven't talked about is the culture. And it's just mm-hmm. random luck. So one of my kids can end up with one group of friends who's really narcissistic, they're sort of showy, and she might go down that path. And my other kid might end up with other friends who go a different way. It can also be cultural, though. Right, Growing up now with social media where... My, my niece's, I think my niece's food has more followers than I do. Yeah.
0: Uh, you know what I mean? I wouldn't be surprised. No, I mean, right. she, has,
1: she has very wonderful food and people like to follow her food on Instagram. And so, it's, I love this world. It's so insane. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Just, but you go back to like growing up in the 70s and 80s and like my parents couldn't even call me.
0: Like I, oh, I know, you not have a phone, nothing. You didn't have a phone. I, I
1: mean, it was just, it's such a different one. The idea of me being narcissistic, I'm like, how? What them I get on TV? Remember when we were kids, like, if you were on TV, that was a big deal. Huge. Huge. Yeah.
2: Now, totally.
1: Now it's like, well, there's a million TV channels. It doesn't mean anything. I know. Exactly. So the culture makes a big difference, too. In certain cultures that are more individualistic, that are more low trust, um, they're more urban, Smaller families, all those things seem to pull for narcissism and cultures that are more collective, more communal, um, higher in trust seem to not pull for narcissism.
0: More from our guests, but first a few words from our sponsor. So I have been a huge fan of True for years, and that's why I am super excited to share that I've recently began partnering with them. I literally don't miss a day taking it. And if I were to only take one supplement, this is the one. And here's why. Our bodies produce a molecule called NAD, which is critical for our cellular energy and repair. But the levels sadly decline as we age. A nutrient that can help increase our NAD is a form of vitamin B3 called nicotinamide riboside, otherwise known as NR. It is the most efficient way to get this is through this true niogen because it's the best NAD precursor around. True niogen helps support our bodies against everyday stressors that can really damage our cells, like overeating, drinking, staying up too late. In my opinion, no one is too young to take it. I wish I knew about this in my early 30s. And what's most amazing is that true niogen is backed by 18 clinical trials and has endorsements of two Nobel Prize winning scientists. So go check it out at trueniagen.com. That's T-R-U-N-I-A-G-E-N. And we have a special offer for new customers to receive $20 off orders of $100 or more using the code HUSTLE20. So definitely run, don't walk and scoop some up now. What's going to be like in the next 20 years, right? I know you don't have a crystal ball, but <laughs> things are all going towards more. There's there's such strife in the world anyway, right now. Um, and it's just becoming going to be mayhem. If everyone is such an ego, like the truth of the matter is before I even a- a- yeah. you answer the question, you know, being an entrepreneur, even in today's culture is like considered to be super sexy and like the hot cre- career. Nobody wants to work for anybody else anymore they all want to be their own boss and they all want to be their own entrepreneur there's so like people are just kind of following into this individualistic yes. very much about one for one not for one yeah. for all one for know?
1: one not one for all. Right. Yeah,
0: you know uh, yeah is there gonna is a pendulum gonna is like in history yeah. does a pendulum swing back or
1: well i i I don't know. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I think it does because a lot of what we're doing feels like we're redoing the 70s. So I do feel right, there's right, some right. historical curves.
0: Well, it started more, you said in the book, well, no, what you said in the book, it's all started to get really kind of out of hand in the 60s, was it the 60s? Yeah, 60s. Okay.
1: So a lot of this feels like it really, like in the 60s, people started noticing, oh my God, people are so self-centered and maybe this narcissism is rising. And right. this is like 60s, 70s. And I mean, I go, history, 70s people got very into themselves. We had a huge divorce. 60s, 70s, um, people stopped caring about their kids. In 19, oh. 1980, 81, 82 was at the low point for child self esteem in America because people were like zero population growth. We got to find ourselves. Forget about our kids. So the early 80s was about the low point for kids self esteem. Mm-hmm. And then we had the self-esteem movement in California that was in the 80s. I'm going ancient history here. Oh, wow. So, guy named Vas Kinsellis, who was a state legislator, legislature. Um, he was in therapy, I think, and I could be messing the story up a little bit. Um, humanistic therapy, and he thought self-esteem would be great for kids because if all the kids had self-esteem, they wouldn't do drugs, they wouldn't have kids out of marriage, they'd be doing, you know, they go yeah. to school, they get good grades. So they started the California Task Force on Self-Esteem and Social Responsibility. That was Republicans added, Social Responsibility. They did this huge book in the 80s, and they found self-esteem didn't really do much. Just didn't really seem right. to make that big a difference. Right. So the educator said, perfect, let's put self-esteem in the schools and that will solve all the problems. So they started adding self-esteem to everything. And this is now nineties, late eighties, nineties where the kids are like, I am special exercises in class. We did this on purpose. So we boosted all the kids' self-esteem through the roof from the eighties to nineties, two thousands. And uh, what we didn't do was make the world any better. So we made Mm -hmm. them all think they're gonna be legends but then we made the economy worse and worse and worse. So right. they, you have all these kids that were raised to think they're gonna be a big deal, and then they had very little opportunity, very competitive opportunity.
0: Isn't that interesting? Yeah. What do you think about the fact, then, like when you're young, right? And I, the whole thing, like everybody's a winner, right? Like there's no such thing as, you know, like when they're playing soccer in yeah. these little soccer, they're like, nobody gets a winning thing or a losing, everyone gets yeah. the participation. Is that good or bad for narcissism? I mean, you know, when we,
1: Gene, Gene Twang and I wrote a lot about this in the narcissism epidemic. Yeah. And I thought about this a lot with my kids in soccer and stuff. And I think, I think competition and having winners and losers is probably good. And I think most kids, I'm very confident. I'm very confident I'm not the best in everything. And I think most of us figure that out pretty young, and we're pretty happy about that. And also,
0: like, teach the kid in life: there are people who are going to win, and you're not going to win every time. And there are winners and losers. Yeah. I have a big problem with this, personally. <laughs> as you can imagine, tell. I can right? Just, uh, you know, like I think it's so ridiculous at this point where these kids are like seven, eight, and it's like, no, I'm like, well, I, I walk in late. What's the score? Score? No one's keeping score. What the hell is a point? In life, life uh, is competitive.
1: I I know, and competition is fun.
0: I, I mean, if that's a, then you're playing for a purpose, not right. just like, you know, like may, or maybe I thought maybe I'm just because I'm that way. Maybe I'm just not, maybe I'm narcissistic where I feel like it's the, my way or the highway. I just think it's so silly, but like when I go for a walk, you know, there are people who think I can just go lollygag and go for a walk. I like to walk for a purpose. Am I going to the grocery store? Where am I walking? There has to be a purpose behind things, not just to just do something. Is that? Do you understand? I mean, what it yeah, means? I do
1: completely. Um, you're smiling. But the, no, at me. but that's you're very achievement oriented when you well, say that. I mean, that's for you you sort of saying like, "I'm like eh, that's achievement oriented. You're getting stuff done." Not every, that
0: has nothing to do with narcissism. No, though. no. I mean, okay, that's good. a different. That's a different. Okay, good. That's a different. Um, different you kind neuroses. of it.
1: you're hitting, No, it's just. I mean, it, I think. I mean, you're, you're bringing up so much, and I think about this a lot. You know, being a professor and having kids that are you know college and seeing, seeing it from both sides and. There's so much competition. There's so but I don't even know what people are competing over anymore. Because right, like you said, true. everyone's like being an entrepreneur. Well, who are you competing with? Right. You want to be an entrepreneur? You want a network of people who are supporters. You don't want to compete with people. Well, no, the
0: idea is because I feel like people don't they don't want to have a boss anymore. It's so it's this yeah. new culture of like this individualistic thing. It's like very I,
1: individualistic. Right, and, it's, and,
0: again, and it's so it's it's it very it's also very US It's very oriented here. Yes. Like I just had a pod, did a podcast with this guy who's all about longevity. Did the book, the blue zones. Right. And about like what makes people live healthy, happy lives. And, uh, Dan Buettner is his name and in all these, in the five blue zone areas. And it's all about community. It's about having friends. It's about working for, uh, you know, for something more like- Bigger than yourself. Bigger than yourself. And these are the people who are the happiest, live the longest, do the, you know what I mean? And yet we're like losing a major facet in the world because nobody (laughs) wants to do that anymore.
1: No, but they, but it wasn't like people got a choice. So if you I'm thinking about data out of China. So China, yeah. this very communal, very kind of Confucian society okay, starts to yeah. urbanize in the last 20 years, right. becomes narcissistic because they shove everybody in an urban environment. You say you get one kid, you can't yeah. have two kids and everyone compete. That's right. And narcissism starts going up and the people change. So you set up a very competitive individualistic world and people are going to have to be narcissistic because they're going to have to—they're going to have to win. Because if you don't win, what do you get?
0: Well, that's the well—that's the thing, and that's what's breeding in our country, though. That's what's happening. So the people who are—I hate to say it—have that narcissism are the ones who are going to win, right? Yes. Because the
1: psychopaths are going to
0: win, right? Because they, yeah, or the Machiavellians I, or right. all the different cousins and everyone yes, else. Yes,
1: and they don't stop. So the other thing you'll notice with very high wealth is that sometimes you'll see higher narcissism. You also, by the way wealth you see conscientiousness. Like there's nobody who's kind of lazy getting really rich. So these people you gotta work. I mean <laughs> yeah. I don't like conscientious
0: that. I think that's yeah. a very true I mean point.
1: discipline and stuff. So I don't mean like, oh you're just kind of being an egomaniac and people are paying you. I mean these people you work hard for a long period of time to make money. But you see people are wealthy or more narcissistic. Part of it is because if, you're, if you've got a great family and you, you make enough money, you're like, shit, I got enough money now. I can't spend all this. I'm taking my kids to Europe. Let's go have some fun, you know? Right, right. But if you don't have that and it's all about ego, it never stops. So right. there's no natural place in there where you go like, yeah, I got enough. You know, yeah, I got enough. I got famous enough. I got enough money. Like, when does that kick in? Well, you tell me. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you you need okay. it, so usually the buffer is the social relationships. You go well, like, I want to keep my marriage, right? The social I'm,
0: relationship part is like, so it's essential. I feel you are saying it's your guardrails balance rails. Out the narcissism. Yeah. but you don't. It's like a, a double edged sword. How do you have a truly good relationship if you are a narcissistic person? But at the same time, if you are a narcissistic, it helps balance out the yes. bad narcissism,
1: right? Does and that make and sense? it it. it It does, it benefits you if you're narcissistic to be in a loving relationship, it tempers your narcissism. It tempers your narcissism. It tempers your narcissism at the cost of the other person often. Um, Can two
0: narcissists be together? Yeah,
1: and that's what we, you know, in the old, when we were doing like dating research, that's what you tend to find was the best. Like if you have two people that are kind of narcissistic, they're kind of shallow, but they're not going to hurt each other that
0: badly. Right, because they're both into their own thing. They're both
1: in their own thing. I ah, asked, she cheated on me. Oh, I would, why? Well, I cheated on her first. Well, do you think it? well, fuck it. I, you know what I mean? So it's like, it's fine. Like they're like, whatever. But the problem is you have somebody who's narcissistic with somebody who's really looking for a committed, loving relationship.
0: Right, right, right. And they go,
1: this person has, has everything I want. I just wish they were more loving. Because they're so successful and they seem competent, and
0: so you're saying two narcissists are the best. That's the best combination. Well, I mean, but does it work because aren't you competing I mean, with yes, each other? Yes, but and I mean, it's you're ba- not attracted to that person. Because then there, they a, could be a reflection of what you're doing badly. So or then you're not. it
1: becomes really challenging with the dynamics. Because if I'm married to somebody who is a psychologist who studies narcissism, <laughs> and we both think we're the best in the world, it's not going to be good. But right. if my wife can be an expert in something else. That I don't feel is a direct threat to me. So what you have to do—I mean, this is called self-evaluation. But you kind of divvy up your success. So you go, look at my wife. She's the greatest pro skateboarder in the world. Isn't that awesome? What do you? I don't skateboard, man. That would be too hard. But she's the best, and I married her. Right. And like, so that, that, does that feed your narcissism? Dude, my wife's the world's hottest skateboarder. Of course, it feeds my narcissism because that's
0: my wife. Right. So you get, you get like your your, your pride. In yeah, that.
1: so wife is like a Rolex or so, like a car. Right. Yeah. so
0: then like does, but do all narcissists like do, then why is it that not all narcissists do that? They, they a lot of times they date in their eyes, uh, maybe below, below them. Below them. Because then they can shine. Right,
1: because the problem is when you're worried about your ego, you always have the choice. It's like, can well, I can have this partner who is my level but that's not going to make me look as good if I'm directly comparing to her. Or Unless she's a totally
0: a different, completely, completely different, different
1: person. So, so maybe the safe thing to me to do, and especially because I'm kind of a loser anyway, is I get this <laughs> kind of dependent, you know, wife who's been traumatized, and I give her some options, and I don't, and I make sure to gaslight her, like the OJ thing. And my back to my LA stories, you right? Know. right, your LA stories. Um, we used to see OJ, and like we'd run through his yard when we were kids. Like, and uh, where where he lived near my aunt. I mean, like, he On had Bundy, that, yeah, yeah, he had that yeah. gate. We would jump over and run across. You did jump. all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, oh my this gosh. is when I was like a baby. He was such a big deal at SC. You know, oh, he was, I he know, was
0: huge, huge. Was yeah. he? Be, would he be a? He's a narcissist. Oh my god! Yeah, because, I mean, he, off he, the charts, grandiose. Is he? Grandiose. A, is he a, and is he? A, is he the disordered kind, or is he? Just I, I mean. A,
1: you know, if he did it, I would, a su- I would suggest being imprisoned and murdering your wife is probably if he would, did it. But, but that would
0: be the psychopath. That it's, wouldn't be an art. Well, that's insane, it's fine what line, I'm but. saying
1: is, it, when it's that extreme, you'd probably say it's a disorder, whatever it is.
0: Right, but we wouldn't. Have, we wouldn't have known that. You know no, I mean? That's you, the thing. No one ever knows that they're a psychopath a, until it actually happens.
1: No, you thought O.J. was the greatest nice guy, guy ever. Yeah, world, and he right. did those Hertz ads where you've kind of made fun of himself. Yeah. And you're like, look, he can even take a joke. He's not a narcissist. Right. He's a pretty likable,
0: successful guy. So just because someone's self-deprecating doesn't necessarily mean that they're not a narth- narcissist. No,
1: they might have a good publicist, or right. they might- Or no, might be in general,
0: strict- like maybe they're smart enough to know how right, to-
1: Right, they know of- to, to, to to, yeah. So I cut you off. So, and I, because I thought they were, but it's, it's, okay. it's impression formation. They're very good at impression management.
0: Impression, that's, yeah, that's the, the grandiose the, ones.
1: Yeah, so it's if you're if they're really smart about impression management. So if you're if you're narcissistic and you have a lot of self control and you kind of regulate it better. But then over time, you're not gonna be as narcissistic because you're gonna spend all this time going, I gotta be humble a little bit, just so the surf's right. like me. You know, I gotta- So that like the
0: conditioning. Yeah. So, so you can actually, so, so can. so can a narcissist get better?
1: I, I think so. So what we found in personality, this is sort of the big history, is you go back to Freud and Freud's like, yeah, this stuff's pretty much done by the time you're six. And then you maybe go to therapy and try to change it. And, right. and like, well, that's not so good. And then William James, a little later, is like, "No, nah, really, you got to 18, 20, you know, you can." And then it gets sort of set in plaster. But before then, you can move around. Now, what we know, and this is, I think, a really, I'm really benefit benefit of the personality science is we know people can change their personalities, and we know they're different. Is that what, true? Yes, yes, hundred percent. And we because we always
0: say people can't change. Right,
1: people can change. People can change. And we know that people want to change. So when I ask my class, and you know, I always ask on those big five traits, you know, who wants to be more open? Who wants to be less open? What generally people want is they want to be more extroverted and less neurotic, more agreeable. Um, but primarily, they want to be less neurotic, meaning be happier and be more extroverted. Those are the two big ones people want. Um, and so people do want to change. And when people want to change, they can change. It just takes effort. The problem you have is when you go, can you make somebody else change? And the answer is no, you can't make somebody else Mm -hmm. change. You can't make yourself change very well. Uh, So if somebody, if you said to me like, Keith, who do you want to be? I just wish I were a better parent. I wish I were a little more loving with my kids. I wish I could just have a little bit longer fuse, you know? Like I I do, and I've been working on that my whole life. It's not a home, I haven't got there yet. You haven't,
0: even all your experience. All my
1: experience, I try to be a great dad. Not there yet. No, my Really? Getting, are you getting no. better?
0: Yes. Of course I'm getting better. You know, I'm, I'm improving. So it's all about an improvement, not necessarily. I mean, it but just. But at your core, are you different? I think I'm
1: different. I think I've really worked at it over time to be, I mean, I was very, like we're talking, I was very achievement oriented and very competitive and I've dialed that back a lot. Um, but did you
0: only dial it back because, you know, with age and like kind of like, uh reflection later on
1: yeah I, I think some of it was well I mean I'm getting personal but I think some of it is I just burned out too I just yeah. got too I was just doing too much and it just I got to the point where like my nerves I just couldn't you, you couldn't know, do I, it anymore I just couldn't do it anymore so and do, that's,
0: does someone need to have some kind of life situation where that forces them to change or because if things are going great, Right. Yes. You don't have any real reason to change, no, right? No, that's
1: the problem. So the reason is it's like if you tell somebody to change, they're like, nah, I'm feeling pretty good. So somebody's narcissistic and like I'm pretty successful. And my wife's like, you should change to be a better parent. Like, my life's kind of killing it. Right. So I'm not really even gonna, though
0: your life could be shitty in the personal side. Right. You know but I'm
1: you're saying? like, yeah, I wish my personal life was better, but that's not my priority right now. Yeah. And I'm pretty good. And I don't want to give up this other side to get the personal life better. You right. know, I don't want to give up my ego to make my personal flavor. So it's hard to make people to ch- make people change. Really can't make people change. People though will change. What you're talking about is kind of that you know the rock bottom thing we talk about. Or you're in a marriage, yeah. and your wife's like, "Look, I'm leaving you if unless you." Do you. So there's often that kind of you know ultimatum that will seek people to but change.
0: E- even I don't does an ultimatum uh, ultimatum work? I don't think it would because I it's know. like. Out of fear, you'll do it because you don't in the moment. But then, won't you revert right back to how you were?
1: Well, I guess it depends on how much the fear so is. So, you tell
0: me what are the strategies to for for a narcissistic person to change? And honestly, strategies for anyone who's a neurotic to change yeah. or a who whatever their so, issue is.
1: So, with. What we change, mostly personality-wise, is neuroticism, because that's what most mental health is, Mm -hmm. is I'm kind of neurotic, and they might say, hey, it's manifesting as depression or anxiety or hostility, but it's all kind of trait neuroticism. Right. We want to bring that down. What can we do? Well, we can give you SSRIs. Right. That Uh, will change your personality. That's drugs. That's drugs. Right. We can give you ayahuasca, and- (laughs) That could possibly- I mean- on average, that lowers neuroticism about as much as SSRIs, but you only have to, you know, once And it session. lasts forever? Uh, the longest follow-ups we have are three months, maybe six months. And, and then I, does it
0: kind of go back to- I
1: a- think it usually will cycle back, but I don't, I think it depends on who it is and what the- and The we just situation is. We don't is. have great long-term data. I mean, we just don't have follow-up right, you don't data have that for years. So that works. Um, all sorts of therapy work, but when you look at therapy, you're like, well, geez, it all sort of works. If you have, a, if you like your therapist and stay with it,
0: right, and if you go consistently, if you go
1: consistently and do the work,
0: although honestly, a lot of people I know go to their therapist and they just talk, talk to them it, yeah. for five, ten years, and, not, and, and just nothing like, happens. They become like they're like buddy, you know, buddy, yeah, that they bounce ideas off of, and they're yeah. not changing. I mean, I've seen people who have gone and have had great results as well, but yeah. So then I guess these are all things that I, you know, the strategy. Give me some strategies that I haven't heard of. So.
1: If I'm, if I'm narcissistic, what I want to do is figure out what the issue is. Is it my ego is just too big? I talk about myself all the time. And maybe I want to figure out what those are and really work on that specific behavior. So I, it might be like for me, I'm very extroverted. I will go to conferences. And when I talk about it, somebody will say, I'll say, like, hey, Jennifer, what are you working on? And you'll be like, I'm working on this. And I go, oh, what about this? What about this? Blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, I'm talking for 10 minutes. And poor Jennifer, who's not as extroverted as me, is just not saying a word because my my energy is too much. So that's not narcissism per se, but that's my extroversion messing up relationships. I go, okay, I gotta watch that. So what do I do? Well, I go, every time I talk to somebody, I breathe and let
0: them have a moment. But then you have to be super (laughs) self-aware. Yes, so I have to make it a committed
1: behavioral intervention. Like I have to watch my, and if I were serious about this for real, I would have a diary and I'd be a journal and I'd have notes like, oh, so I'll do it. Like I, one of my issues is when, I mean, I was going through TSA a couple days ago. Okay. had a lovely snow globe for my mother that my wife thought she would like. What's TSA? T- to Preach uh, security at the airport security.
0: Oh, TSA security. Yeah, so I'm oh, going okay. through the
1: airport. I get through the huge line. I get there. They open up the snow globe and say, uh, you can't bring the snow globe on the plane. Are you insane? It could be a bomb. Well, of course it could have been a bomb. I didn't think about that this morning. So I thought, well, I could get really mad and act like a baby, or I could smile, say Merry Christmas, and walk backwards through the line. And I'm like, I did that. I smiled and said Merry Christmas and walked through the line and just didn't get arrested. That took a lot of work. You know what I mean?
0: I just didn't get arrested. I didn't get
1: arrested. And my mother got the snow globe and it was a great Christmas. I've been working on that for years. How did
0: you get to that? Yeah, so what? So you basically- Just being
1: just over time. And I started learning meditations. Like when I drive, it's like, God wants me to be slow. It's like, this is something I got from yoga. So I just said meditation. It's like a little mantra I tell myself. These are just basic behavioral interventions that you do just for a very specific thing. So for me, it's more when things don't go my way, I get pissed. So I got, I got to stop that. It's entitlement. It's narcissism, I don't like it. Um, it could be antagonism, could be you're just a mean person. You could say, you know what, I'm gonna to try to say positive things about people. So one of the things that's really, you might notice this in LA, I don't know, but it's very hard when you go like, hey, I had this great success. People don't go, hey, great Keith, great success. They're all like, you, you know? And, and so a lot of times people's first reaction is like, damn your success. It's hard to make. It's hard Isn't to. Isn't
0: that called
1: uh, It is. It's so it's they sort pretend of, they're yeah, happy. For yeah, you it's though. like sort of taking joy in Keith's suffering would be sort of Schadenfreude. <laughs> you know the classic German negative stuff, and may and telling Keith he's great when he succeeds is what we would in psychology call capitalization. That's kind of a silly word, but that's okay. the, that's the technical term. Like, hey, great job, you know. So one of those things you can practice is being sort of positive about other people's success. And if that's really hard for you, just practice it. Yeah. So if somebody goes, hey, I got this great thing, you go, great, I'm really happy for you.
0: But what you're saying is that you gotta, first of all, what I'm, what I'm hearing is you you gotta first have the ability to be self-aware. You gotta then
1: figure out what the what issue is. What it is, what the
0: issue is. Then you gotta just practice it over and over again. Yeah. Until you get better at yes. it. Yes. As okay, so pra- there's no, this is no there's no, no magic trick then.
1: No, I mean, when you find extreme personality change, we call it, you know, quantum change or something. And yeah. the, the times you see that, sometimes in war where you get PTSD, so people have these t- war traumas and they'll right. come out of there. So, you know, and, and they will be a different person when they come back from war. So that's like a classic example. The opposite side of that would be something like ayahuasca or the psychedelics where you have a mystical experience. And having a mystical experience, people can come out of that, be more loving, more connected. Um, We're not really seeing narcissism change with psychedelics, you know, that neuroticism piece is. But it's grandiosity. Sometimes it's taking people who are a little insecure and they come out and they go like, you know, I could do more with my life.
0: What is it called when someone like, you know, um, when you have something to prove, right? Like there are people you saying you were saying before how. You know, when you grow up with, like, a lot of rich and talented people around you, and then, like, what happens a lot of times is people can then, you know, kind of grow up with a chip on their shoulder, right? Where they feel like, well, I'm going to show them, and then they push super hard, and then... Um, is that like a form of narcissism, though? Or you, for, what is that called? It's not. No, I mean, the, you're the, right. Like, not everything is narcissism. No, and no. Everyone just uses that. Right. Word. They're
1: using the term. I mean, narcissism is a is a constellation of you know traits or personality processes that make you seek ego and seek attention and try to be better than people and it's a way of regulating yourself so you're the star of your own show. Um, but if you're like a kid and that you're, you know, I went to prep school and I, I was like, I went to school with the Kennedy kids. And so people are like, oh, you're a big deal. I'm like, no, I'm
0: not. Right. comparative like, all right, perception. All,
1: and then you get to this point where you're like, there's always somebody richer and smarter and better looking than you. Yeah, and I absolutely. figured that out very young. And I think a lot of people figure that when they're older. So I think I was blessed in a way that I never.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: but what you're talking about is, uh, I mean, this is. This is kind of like elder in psychology, um, but the idea that you you kind of get knocked down. You go, I got to prove who I am because my I had a sense of who I was. I went in this location. I said, Keith, you're not that. You're weak. And right. I said, no, I'm not. I'm going to prove to everybody who I am. So that's a way of, I mean, we call it self-regulation, meaning I have an idea of who myself is. The world has told me that that isn't my, you not no one sees me that way. And I have two choices. Either I can say, you're right, I'm a loser like the world sees me. Or I can say, no, I'm going to prove to you that I am who I say I am. And I have to build a person and compete and rise up to, to gain that status. That's totally normal. Right. I mean, right? If you went to a new school. You got you to gotta establish who you are. I mean, so this is sort of a normal thing of establishing identity. So I, I think that's. Well,
0: you said something that you said uh, self-regulation or self-regulate. Isn't that more of a mental health issue when someone can't self-regulate? It
1: so the term self-regulation is a general term for becoming the person you want to be and staying the person you want to be. So if I have Mm. an image of myself and I want to keep that image, I do certain things. It's a normal thing to do Mm. because if I, you know, we all think we we live in a stable society with stable pretty stable society with pretty stable relationships. And we have an idea of who we are and we go, I'm confident who I am, because every day I get the messages. Well, if we move to somewhere in another country, mm-hmm. you know, we move to, you know, North Australia or Papua New Guinea or I don't know where we're going. Maybe we go to Japan or whatever. And we start living there. We don't know anybody and no one's giving us feedback. We pretty quickly know we don't know who we are. Right. Because where's the feedback? Who's telling everyone's like, Who are you guys? I'm like, I don't know who I am. So we have to we have to self-regulate. We have to establish who we are. Got it. So there's a real social part of doing that. Right. And it's who your friends are, it's what you do. It's the symbols. It's how you dress. We dress a certain way. So people treat us a certain way. If I'd showed up here in a three-piece suit. You would have thought a different. You would have thought totally it's a different true. person. Yeah. Uh huh. So we do a lot in our life to create an image, and we also want everyone to know the image, so we don't have to negotiate all the time. We right. want people to get who we are, so they don't treat us differently. I'm pretty informal, so I always look informal. Yeah. So people-
0: me too. Exactly. So yeah. I
1: mean, so but you do that for a reason, right? It's self regulation. So what what sometimes people use is a more specific term, which is self control, which is like I can stop myself from doing things I shouldn't do, or do things I, I, I know I should do. And that self-control is really important for mental health. So, a lot yeah. of our issues are drinking, drug addiction, eating, exercise, um, sex addiction. Any of those things are self-regulation or self-control mm-hmm. issues. So, that's why it's so important for mental health. Because if you can't control yourself, you can't, you know. Yeah, you, you can't you're function. You're screwed. Right. You can't function.
0: Right. Then yeah. what is, um. You said, what is this whole, um, approach versus avoidance?
1: Okay. Yeah. So if f- fundamentally as humans, but this is across mammals and it's across other species as well, other kingdoms. I mean, this is a very foundational way of motivating is there's two motivational sets sort of like gas and brakes. That we have approach orientation, which is, I want goals. It has to do with getting goals. It's acquisitive. It has to do with feeling good. It's linked to extroversion. It has to do with reward seeking. And there's avoidance orientation, which is avoiding punishment. It has to do with finding peace and and avoiding turbulence. Mm -hmm. It has to do with risk uh, avoidance rather than risk taking. And so approach and avoidance are two very basic ways. And we all have approach and we all have avoidance. But people that are more approach oriented tend to look for rewards. They tend to be energized by rewards and they tend to go through life one way. And people that are more avoidance oriented are kind of looking at risks and they're trying to keep safe and they're going through life another way. Right. So that basic motivation, when you move it into the self. So I'm kind of getting yoga here. I'm taking (laughs) that. These are social psych models doing yoga. So you take that basic motivation, you move it into the self, the ego. What happens? Well, approach oriented about getting attention, being better, fame, status, success. It's equivalent getting dates, you know, new dating partners, um, And avoidance orientation is avoiding failure, avoiding shame, avoiding guilt, avoiding getting in trouble. Right. So it's different, these are different motives when they get to the ego too. Okay. With narcissism, with grandiosity, you see a lot of approach orientation, which is, hey, this is my chance to shine. I'm in LA, hey, I gotta go. I I can go meet, uh, you know, I don't know. I can't even remember the names. (laughs) And uh, an avoidance orientation is more, I don't wanna get busted and you're not you're going to see that with more vulnerable narcissism the vulnerable narcissism is more
0: about don't find out don't find out i'm a loser don't find out i'm weak and the grandiose is all about check out how awesome and the other one is all about approach so then i'm going to ask you one more question and then we can wrap this but like what careers would you say are careers you would find like the in the in the vulnerable uh and and the grandiose
1: so with grandiose narcissism, you find it linked to things like leadership, especially, so grandiose narcissists rise to leadership, emerge as leaders mm-hmm. in a lot of situations. Um, entrepreneurship, we were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. you see more entrepreneurship with grandiose narcissism. Again, it makes perfect sense. I gotta take risks, I think I can do it, and I've gotta convince people to support me. So those are areas that pull from our narcissism. Um, and gra- and vulnerability doesn't really do well anywhere. Like there's no place on earth, like, you know what I really need is somebody who's self-centered and insecure, right? <laughs> like, and I, I mean, you just, it's not- But a- you could
0: have that in the grandiose also, just because someone is- Yes,
1: gra- you can have that wrapped up and they kind of- <laughs> Yeah, yes. well,
0: I feel like, yeah. you know, when you're talking, I feel like most narcissists I know, like real narcissists have are both. super insecure and they're just like- you know, they puff their chests out and they could be super, you know, uh, extroverted, but still be like really insecure in the They inside. can be both. Yeah. yeah, and that's
1: where they get into trouble because they're doing all that reassurance seeking and they're making sure people are supporting them. and Validation.
0: They, validation,
1: that's a good word. You know, yeah. like. Yeah, that, um, so here's the question I'd ask you. Do you really think these people, and I'm thinking LA people are insecure? So if I'm yes. a successful person, but they're, they're out there doing I stuff that takes a lot do, of security, So too.
0: I think that people, I mean, I'm not the world-renowned psychologist, but I will okay, say I'm this. i just making
1: stuff up. Okay, man. well, <laughs>
0: <laughs> this, this, I'm doing it all by observation. I will say, though, I think I'm okay at it, but- <laughs> I think that a lot of times people who are really insecure try to overcompensate by showing a really a really like bravado, bravado spi- of like uh, of confidence yeah. and you know yeah. extroversion but really deep down they are insecure and they feel really depleted and they need constant right. outward validation and external like yeah. a lot of people who need to go out all the time and and seek validation yeah they have all those qualities you're saying. They are super yeah. gregarious and extroverted and fun. and But they're also like deeply broken inside a yeah. lot of times.
1: So that is, I mean, that's something we see in, in research. And we talk about this a little bit like the mask model of narcissism. This mm-hmm. is the old term. We, it was the old, I used to call it Tootsie Pop model. Yeah. It's a little Freudian model. But the idea is that there's this insecurity and then there's this shell of confidence on top of it. And the way you get narcissism, you take insecurity and add confidence. And when we look at people and you say, hey, are you wearing a mask? And people will say, some people are like, yeah, I'm fake it till I make it. Right. I'm insecure, but I gotta look confident. Other people are like, nope, not at all. Right. So the people aren't where There's two kinds of people not wearing a mask. There's people who are just really insecure. Like, no, I'm just insecure <laughs> through and through, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm insecure. And people are people like, no, I'm secure. I'm just not that insecure. Really? Yeah, childhood is okay. I'm wired okay. I don't feel bad about right, stuff. Right, but
0: there's the other group.
1: Right, but then there's the other groups, and right. then you get those people that are both very kind of grandiose, but they're also insecure, and that's why I think you're getting grandiosity and vulnerability. So that is a real phenomenon, but that isn't the that isn't the base case. I
0: think that is well, maybe because I live
1: here. <laughs> that's why I really in Los Angeles, and
0: I think I see a comp the combo. I think yeah. people here are also like, you get a melting pot of people here who didn't feel worthy or belong and they come to Los Angeles, so they come to New York and yeah. try to like reinvent themselves because they have a- It's an like, island of
1: misfit toys. Like they feel, well, they feel
0: like broken somewhat, you know? I don't think that that's uncommon. I think that's very common.
1: No, and and again, I think that's I think that's a very real phenomenon because you've seen it, I've seen it. Um, but I don't think that's the base case. Meaning if somebody says like, hey, you're narcissistic, it doesn't mean you're a broken person who was out there trying to get attention. So even be, though, yeah. yeah, even though when I talk to people in LA, I'm like, yeah, you should see. This. I mean, yeah. the people that are out there trying to get attention because they feel that will heal something missing. And I talked to you know gym guys and they're like, yeah, a lot of these guys lift because they're really insecure. And that was their way of you know, right. fake it and till they make it.
0: Or feeling confident. And they
1: feel confident. And then or after- building confidence. After they do it for a while, the insecurity kind of starts to go away. Yeah. You know, they fake it till they make it. So that model is a very real model.
0: Um, maybe I just you know, I'm in LA and mm-hmm. I'm around New York or I'm these yeah. big metropol. So, like maybe yeah. like we Two were years. saying earlier, like it's just like such an influx of those the, that that type that, of person. Yeah, it's a big you know?
1: selection
0: effect of all here, right? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And it's people who are narcissistic, but they also felt like they weren't getting what they needed at home and needed to go somewhere else to get that validation. Right. Um,
0: Which I think is like, and I think- So,
1: so I'm sorry. There's a old story is Dr. Drew, you know, from Love Lines. Yes. Gave the Narcissistic Personality Inventory, which is like our classic old school measure of grandiose narcissism. He gave it to 150 thereabouts. Mm-hmm. I've looked at the paper in a few years. Celebrities on his show, and he would just give them the test, and he 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 did it really randomly, so you could never go back and figure out who these celebrities. Were, which is great. I mean, it's, it's so hard to get these data. Yeah, and. When you look at it, you found that there was a lot of grandiosity in Mm -hmm. celebrities. It was higher, it was interesting, it was highest was like women in reality television, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was a lot of that was vanity piece, but it was, so you did find it, um, comedians had kind of high narcissism scores, but the highest was reality television. So it was the less talent, more narcissism. Yes. And, but we don't have vulnerability scores. But when you look at Dr. Drew's book, he talks about vulnerability all the time. So my guess is in this population, there's a lot of vulnerability, Mm -hmm. a lot of addiction, a lot of substance use disorders, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. I just don't have data on it. I don't know how to get it.
0: Well, I think also what you said, um, again, because where we're living, but you said something else I found interesting about um, what you just said. Now, I I just totally lost my mind. It's okay. It happens all the time. What was I going to say? Well, I mean, I can't remember what I was going to say now but it doesn't matter. I mean, I think I basically you've answered all of my questions. Um, the only, Oh, actually one other question, give some basic strategies for people who have to deal with a narcissistic boss or a narcissistic yeah. partner. What, give me some yeah, that's, easy,
1: that's a challenge. Easy peasy strategy. Yeah, easy peasy. I yeah. mean, there, I don't think there is easy peasy, but general, um, narcissistic boss or narcissistic spouse, either one you, you, a lot, we talked about gaslighting earlier. Mm-hmm. You need to get a group of people who support your view of reality. So when you say this is reality and the boss goes, No, that's not real. Your wife or husband say, That's not real. You have a friend that go, No, you're real. They're lying. Um, so you protect yourself, you get a network. The thing with bosses is there's a couple options. One is you hide. One is you get them promoted out. So if they're a real problem, you say, you are so great. You should be working at headquarters. (laughs) Third option is you just do everything for them and kind of ride their coattails as long as you can. That kind of remora with the shark model. Right. And again, whatever your life circumstances are, you kind of suck up to the person or ingratiate yourself to the boss. So they want to have you around. When you look at narcissistic leaders, they always have a little groups of
0: people they fall they come around around with them. little yeah, quail
1: yeah. so you can be a little quail and follow them around um, so that's an option with relationships you know get legal help just get an attorney get a coach do whatever you can to protect yourself like I said that you need a support system especially if you're going to try to work with the marriage. Um, another strategy that people have told me about when they're leaving marriages that are falling apart—they call it the gray rock strategy, which is being really boring. And I've heard this from friends who I respect. So I mean, this is—but there's no research on this. But the idea is this: partners, like, hey, we ended the marriage. I still want to have Keith, you know, in my life, and I want to mess with them. So you just act really boring, like a gray rock. Just like, yeah. Yes, one word answers, everything's really written down and you hope the person leaves you alone because they find something more shiny to- To bother.
0: The gray rock syndrome.
1: Yeah, it's like a method they talk about. Be as boring as a gray rock.
0: Because there's nothing, you can't, you can't instigate You not
1: Yeah, because what happens is the, the guy, oh, we're gonna do this and you're like, ah! And then you're back in the dynamic. You're like I left yeah. this marriage and I'm reliving the marriage. I Or a left. girlfriend,
0: boyfriend. It doesn't.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't matter. And and, and and so you're reliving the dynamic. Like, I don't want to be in this dynamic. So I can't be the same person I was in the dynamic. Right. So I have to be a different person.
0: And then why are more men narcissists than women? Um, I think it's basic
1: personality structure with men tend to be more externalizing, Mm -hmm. which is no, we talk about breaking, you know, like approach and avoidance. We also talk about externalizing and internalizing, which are some people with disorders tend to be more aggressive. They hit things more. They tend to be more alcoholic and some people to be more depressed, internalizing self-harm in general. And there's just a very general, this isn't like everybody, just a general. On average, men tend to have more externalizing Mm disorders. So if you look at prisons, men's prisons are much bigger than women's prisons. Right. Because men just and prisons are filled with narcissists and psychopaths. And um, so I think that there's just a general gender difference in external externalization, and that's part of it, but there also could be some cultural things like men are allowed, you know, you get more props for being kind of arrogant. If you're a woman, you're more arrogant, it's harder, you gotta be more subtle about it. Right,
0: it's called demanding if you're a woman or. Yeah. But I do think probably now with social media and this whole individualized world, I bet those numbers are gonna become much more balanced.
1: I 100% agree with you. With vulnerable narcissism, you see the balance already where Mm -hmm. it's equal. It's a grandiosity where there's more. I think it's probably changing. And probably you see the flip with things like borderline personality disorder, Mm -hmm. histrionism, which tend to be diagnosed more in women. And my guess is that gets balanced out too. Cause one idea is that if therapist or psychiatrist will see a woman come in with these traits and go, yeah, you're kind of borderline, but the man is that you're kind of narcissistic. Right. And the woman they'll focus more on the emotional d- destabilization and the men, it will be more like the power kind of dynamic, but it's this very same or similar disorder. Right. So there's always a cultural piece that comes in you know. Always, always. Yeah, always.
0: Well, Keith, this has been very informative. I thoroughly enjoyed this podcast with you. Oh, it's been very fun for me too. I'm um, so glad that you came. The book is called The New Science of Narcissism and you can get it anywhere, I'd imagine, right? Yeah. Amazon. Hey, Amazon. That's where everyone your buys local books Your local bookstore. Please, books
1: please go to your bookstore. <laughs> There's none in LA, but we still have one in Georgia. Please go. Really?
0: Wow. Yeah. I mean, we have, you know what bookstore we have? Amazon bookstore. <laughs> I know.
1: You do right, probably like an actual store. No, I'm
0: joking. We have, I'm not joking. We have the Amazon bookstore you. down the street.
1: Wait, well, you can buy it at Amazon, but
0: I mean, or yeah. Barnes and Noble. I, th- I mean, we don't have one, but online. Help the
1: entrepreneurs out there. They I need know. it, man. Help For the, the entrepreneurs. small business. Owners. Help the small business owners. They're getting crushed.
0: And I would say follow Keith on um, social <laughs> media, but he's not on social media, but he is on Twitter. Twitter, Twitter. He right? is. Okay, so you have Twitter.
1: Yeah. Not a lot of hot takes coming from me
0: (laughs) No, oh well. Um, Well, that's, okay, so Keith Campbell, The New Scientist of Narcissism. This has been super informative.
2: Thank you. Thank you.